Well, here we are starting yet another year by God's grace, 2023. The world takes time on this occasion to look back. The world takes time to look ahead, and many of us do the same. And I wonder, what are your thoughts about the year that has just ended? Was it a great year? Thank you. Was it a good year? Thank you. Was it a terrible year? Thank you. And probably for a lot of us, it's somewhere in the middle with some ups and some downs. For some, it was a very terrible, challenging year. Did it play out pretty well how you expected it to? Or were there surprises along the way? And I'm sure there were some. So looking ahead to 2023, what are your expectations for this year? Do you have special plans? Have you been planning a great vacation? Maybe there's a wedding in your family or personally. Maybe there's retirement for you in the coming year. Maybe you're starting college next year, this year in the fall. Or maybe a graduation. Or maybe this is the year you are going to beat that cancer that has sought to take over your body. It's normal to look ahead and make future plans and then make appropriate preparations for those plans. But James, the brother of Jesus and the author of the book of James, provides for us timely wisdom that we need to hear on the dawn of yet another year. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles or on your devices to James chapter 4. We're going to look this morning at verses 13 through 17. I've titled the message, Prideful Presumption. Prideful Presumption. So follow along or listen to me as I read God's holy word, James chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Father, again, as Scott has prayed, we quiet our hearts before you, but we seek to open our ears as your Spirit brings the Word of God to bear upon our lives. Lord, these truths today, nothing new, really, and in some ways quite obvious. But Lord, would your Spirit drill these realities home into our hearts today? And Lord, even may they affect our mindset, our attitudes, the way that we approach every day in this coming year. We're so grateful for your spirit. In his Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, sort of interesting verses here. Does James really say it's wrong to make plans? And if not, then what is he warning us about? So let's take this closer look before we come together to the Lord's table a little bit later. Again, I just mentioned, I'm not sharing anything new with you this morning. In fact, these things are quite obvious, but as Peter would say, it's good to remind you of things. So we're going to see, first of all, that life is unpredictable. Amen? Life is fragile, and life is purposeful or meaningful. And we'll see how we are to live in light of these three basic realities. Life is unpredictable, life is fragile, yet life is very purposeful. So James, as the brother of Jesus, had a front row seat 
He was watching Jesus close up. And he writes what is very practical, a very practical letter to the Jews who have been scattered because of persecution. And these folks were grinding out their newfound Christianity under some pretty severe adverse conditions. And James provides very practical guidance for these saints to live out their faith. He would talk to them about the grace and the wisdom needed to endure all kinds of trials as the letter begins. He would talk in the end of chapter 1 about how important it is to, to give careful attention to the Word of God and not forget what we read in the Word like we would if we look in the mirror and forget what we look like, but put into practice the Word of God. He talks about a faith that needs to be evidenced by good works. Talks about taming the tongue. Talks about not playing favorites in the body of Christ. Talks about the source of quarrels and divisions and the enemy's role in those kinds of things. He talks about wisdom that comes from heaven, wisdom that comes from God versus that earthly, fleshly, unspiritual pseudo-wisdom. And then he writes about what I'm calling prideful presumption, making plans that leave God out. So let's look at this this morning. Life is unpredictable, therefore trust God's sovereign care. Life is unpredictable, therefore trust God's sovereign care. It doesn't take long for even a child to learn that life is unpredictable. He doesn't get what he wanted for Christmas. Dad takes a new job and the family has to move. Your best friend from the first three years of school is no longer in your class in the next grade. Mom and dad separate and get a divorce. A grandparent or a parent dies. It doesn't take long for kids to realize life is unpredictable. And then as we get older, this reality becomes even more obvious. Life is full of surprises. Unexpected turns. Right now, I could list a few dozen examples that hit close to home to us in 2022. Personally, our families, and this church family. That's what James is talking about when he writes, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go into such and such a town, spend a year there, make a profit, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. He's talking about the reality that life is unpredictable. First, let's be clear about what James does not mean. I've mentioned it. It doesn't mean we should not make plans. Scripture is replete with evidences or examples of people making plans. It's in the creature world, the animal world. It's, we see Jesus himself. He made plans. So it's certainly not wrong to make plans. So what is James saying? Several things. The first thing he says is don't be presumptuous in your planning. Don't take liberties that you have no business taking. So this individual that James is speaking of makes plans to go to a particular town. Nothing wrong with that. The summer we're going to go wherever. We're going to make plans. We're going on vacation. Nothing wrong with that. But spending a year there, going to trade successfully, going to make a nice profit, declaring those things as if they were a done deal was presumptuous because you don't know and he didn't know and we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Presumption. He had little control over those outcomes. Hey, I'm going to trade. I'm going to have successful trading. I'm going to make a nice profit. Maybe, maybe not. That is presuming upon God. So let me give you some, perhaps some examples that we can relate to today. I'm going to get married and have 2.5 children. All right, we'll make it three. I'm going to get married, nice husband, nice wife. We're going to have three kids. We'll both work and make six figures, and we're going to live in a beautiful home in the suburbs for the rest of my life. I know this coming year, I'm going to get the promotion I've always wanted, work for. I'm going to retire when I'm 55 years old. And I'm going to live the rest of my life in retirement. 
Nothing wrong with these ambitions in themselves, but when in our minds we sort of settle and declare them as a done deal, without leaving room for what God may have for our lives, is what James would say, it's presumption before God. Leaves no room for what God may have for his will for you. Job 3 and verse 25, for the things that I fear come upon me, and what I dread befalls me. Some of you can relate very specifically to those words by Job in this past year or two. <clears throat> Life is unpredictable. Therefore, trust God's sovereign care. The other part of that I want to mention is don't be pompous or don't be prideful in your planning. Don't think that you are so good at what you do that success in whatever you set your mind to is guaranteed. I've dotted all my I's. I've crossed all my T's. I've covered all my bases. What could go wrong? I'm home free. The stock market will come back. It always does. I have it all figured out. And verse 16, a little later in that passage, reveals the issue. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. So we need to stop thinking that we know better than God. Jeremiah 9 and verse 23 says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the rich man, or let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Proverbs 27, 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow. Same thing that James is saying. For you do not know what a day may bring. Life is unpredictable. We don't know what this afternoon will bring. We don't know what a day will bring. So leave room for God's plan, which may be different than yours. So we need to make our plans, yes, but let's make our plans with open hands, as it were, and an open heart. That God, this is my plan, but, but acknowledging that God, you may have something different for me. And so we ought not cling too tightly to those plans that we make. Make plans, yes, but make them with a conscious acknowledgement that God may have a different plan for your life. Make your plans, yes, but submit them to the Lord's control. Submit them to the Lord's sovereignty. And when the unpredictable, unexpected happens, as it will, trust in God's sovereign care. Trust in the reality that he is an altogether, all the time, good and gracious God and only has good and perfect purposes for his children, even when we don't understand. You know, I'll get it to the next point. Life is unpredictable. Therefore, trust in God's sovereign hand. Don't be presumptuous in our planning. Don't be prideful. Trust in God's sovereign control, sovereign hand. Number two, life is fragile. Life is fragile. Therefore, embrace God's eternal salvation. Verse 14, the end of verse 14. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Psalm 103, 15 and 16 say the same thing. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. Graphic language about the fleeting nature of life. Life is fragile. For some here today, and I know there's still some folks viewing on live stream, I'm sure, and we welcome you as well, that reality has struck close to home this year as a loved one unexpectedly passed into eternity, in some cases much, much earlier than, than from our human perspective 
would seem to make sense. A husband or a wife facing life without their soulmate. Children growing up without a mom or a dad. Or without a pop-pop or a grandma. Or that dread disease cancer taking yet another life. Life is fragile. This summer, there's a classmate of mine from elementary school that I happened to see on Facebook. Some of you may have seen it in the news. Her daughter, son-in-law, and two grandchildren were camping at a campground in Iowa, Ken and Janet. And early one morning, six o'clock, someone came into their tent and murdered mom, dad, and a daughter, and a little boy, nine years old, escaped. Life is fragile. Four students in Idaho, college, go to bed one night, never wake up. Again, these are dramatic examples, but let's face it, we don't know what a day may bring. Even when we do all the things right. So while the timing of some deaths confounds us, the fact of life's fragile nature should not. We just don't think about it a lot. Hebrews 9:27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. I think the parable of the rich fool is a great example in Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 16. And Jesus told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store all my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. None of us knows that day. Again, I'm not seeking to be melodramatic. It's the reality. None of us knows that day. Such is the nature of life. And the reality is that some of us, and this isn't a macabre thought, it's not a fatalistic thing, but the reality is some of us who are a part of the BFCN family will not be here a year from now. Probably. Wish we'd all be here. Well, to die is gain. But we leave a hole when we leave. Some will experience the fullness of joy in the presence of Jesus before this year is out. Again, none of us knows that day, and such is the nature of life. But what we do know about life are several things. God himself numbers every one of our days and knows the day and the circumstance that will usher us into our eternity. Okay? God numbers our days. He knows every one before any one of them ever came to be. He knows the day and the circumstance that will usher Bill Schlonecker into the presence of Jesus. That is in large measure comforting that God has that taken care of. Our, the day of our death will never be haphazard. It will never catch God off guard. It will never be premature in God's plan, though from our human perspective, all of those things may be true. It looks haphazard. It looks like God was caught off guard. It looks to be premature, but it's not. Nothing, even cancer, 
can take us before God's appointed time. God himself numbers every one of our days, knows the day and circumstance that will usher us into eternity. The other thing we know about life, that this life, even if it's a hundred years, is still as a blink of an eye in the scope of eternity. A number of years ago, I did an illustration with a long piece of rope that hooked up here and then went out the front door. Some of you remember that. It wasn't original with me, but someone even referenced that recently with me from another church. And I put on that rope a little piece of tape about an inch long. And looking at that visual with this rope that stretched from there out the front door, out into the parking lot, and that little inch piece of tape represented our life. And the rope represented eternity. And again, that rope could have stretched around the world. But it was a good visual to see how our life, even if a hundred years is like a blink of an eye, and that's what the Bible's trying to get us to understand. It's what James is trying to get us to understand. It doesn't mean that this life is unimportant. It doesn't mean that this life is insignificant. But rather, it underscores that we need to live this life with eternity in view. And not this philosophy of eat, drink, and be merry every day. This past week, Mindy and I saw David at Sight and Sound. I'm sure a number of you have seen that. If you didn't, it's too late. <laughs> the next one is <clears throat> Moses. Get a chance to see that one. The final scene to me was very poignant. It's when the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who came from the line of David, ushers David into heaven. And throughout that auditorium, all around were singers in white robes, singing praise to God. And it struck me and was very poignant as I pictured our loved ones, my loved ones, who were there, ushered into the presence of Jesus, and there were singing praises unto the Lamb. And I thought, thank God for the provision that he made of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the good shepherd who laid down his life for us, his sheep. That again, though life is fragile and life is fleeting, to face death no longer with fear, as Hebrews 2 tells us, but with confidence because Jesus Christ has conquered death. And so again, for the believer, precious in the sight of God is the death of his saints. And that provision by Jesus Christ, which we will observe and remember in just a few minutes. Some of you have heard me say at a memorial service about Ecclesiastes 7, which says strange words, where Solomon says it's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. And those are strange words, but it's because, again, in a couple verses later, he says, because every one of us is going to die, we need to be prepared for death. I, I, I pray that everyone who's watching via live stream today or will watch, and I pray all of you who in this sanctuary that you have come to know Jesus Christ, as your personal savior, that you have made it personal and entrusted your life to Jesus Christ, that you have experienced the forgiveness of your sin and know that you have eternal life. My friend, if you've not done that, if you don't know what it is to walk in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, make that, make that matter settled before you leave this place today. Life is unpredictable. Therefore, trust God's sovereign care, sovereign hand. Life is fragile. Therefore, embrace God's eternal salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Finally, life is purposeful. It's meaningful. Therefore, pursue God's will. We might even say life is directional. Life is preparatory. 
for eternity. That's what Jesus meant when he said, so is the one, to that rich fool, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What we do in this life does impact our eternity. And quite frankly, what you do with Jesus will directly impact your eternity, where you will spend it. If you trust and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're promised to, to be in heaven with Jesus forever, for all of eternity. But for those who would reject Jesus or ignore Jesus and just hope to get in on their own good works, the Bible says that that person will spend an eternity in hell, separated from God forever. So what we do, and then even the way that we live, does impact our eternity. Our life has purpose and meaning. For the believer in Jesus Christ, we are called to become more and more like Jesus. We are here to make much of God, not of us. We are here to point people to Jesus, to glorify, to magnify him, to make his name great. As John the baptizer said, he must become greater. He must increase. I must become less. I must decrease. Everything we do in life either reflects well on our relationship with Jesus Christ or it reflects poorly on our relationship with Jesus. Jesus calls us to lay up treasures for us in heaven. Paul speaks of rewards that are to be received in heaven according to our faithfulness. And so because this life truly matters, we must live in order to make it count for Christ. To that end, James says in verse 17, he cuts to the chase, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Well, certainly James is addressing the context here. When we seek to take ownership of our lives through boastful presumption in our plans, not leaving room for God's plan, it's sin. To continue to leave God out of our plans is sin. But surely we can apply this admonition to the rest of the book of James, and quite frankly, to all of Scripture. Applying it to James, if we fail to see our trials through the wisdom of God's perspective, it's sin. Sound harsh? If we fail to obey what we know in Scripture, like forgetting what we look like when we walk away from the mirror or the Bible, it is sin. When our Christian profession of faith lacks evidence of works, it's sin. When our tongue causes harm or we fail to use our tongue to build up, it is sin. When we fail to apply the wisdom from above and instead succumb to that fleshly, earthly wisdom, it is sin. When we fail to practice peacemaking, it is sin. James sums it up earlier when he says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Amen. Jesus would say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then not do the things that I say? Careful obedience. Think about that as we enter a new year. If you have any resolutions, may it be one of resolve to walk in greater obedience and likeness to Jesus Christ by his grace and his enablement. You know, <clears throat> we could write Proverbs 16.9 over this paragraph in James. Proverbs 16.9. Just, it could, it could be the title of this paragraph. It says this, and I read it because of the ESV, I memorized it in another version. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. That's what he's talking about. That's what James is saying. We make our plans. 
good. But God orders our steps. So leave room for that. Make your plans with an open hand and an open heart, acknowledging that, God, you may have something different for me. It may be something I welcome. It may be something very, very difficult that I would never choose for my life. But, God, you're sovereign. You're altogether good. You're altogether loving, altogether and all the time a good God and gracious. We make plans, but in the end, God controls our lives according to his perfect and good will. So we're going to end it, wrap it up. So guys, you could gather in the back to prepare to hand out the elements. Does it make sense what I'm trying to explain about James? Does it make sense? Again, I don't want you leaving here and think, Pastor Bill said we shouldn't make plans. I'm not saying that. Because God doesn't say that. It's leave room for God. Quite frankly, I found in the last 10 years of my life very much more than I ever did in my life saying, Lord willing. Lord willing, I'll meet so-and-so for breakfast on Wednesday morning. I don't say it. You know, well, Lord willing, I'm going to have a ham sandwich for lunch today. <laughs> what are we having anyway? <laughs> But when it's, you know, Lord willing, well, I'll tell you what, here's where we're at. Mindy and I just, we bought a house. Sold my house, you know that. She sold her house a year and a half ago. That's fine. You don't even know where I'm living and you're clapping. <laughs> we bought a house. I, 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 I gave in and I, we're in a 55 and over community. I like to shovel snow. I like to cut grass. So I'm going to become friends with the landscapers and the, you know. <laughs> it's in the Downingtown area, not Downingtown proper, but the Downingtown area, somehow, some way, trying to find a location that's somewhat central to 16 grandkids. <laughs> and um, the house won't be finished until October. But Lord willing. Yeah. Lord willing. Because a lot can happen between January 1st and October of this year. And I'm very mindful of that. Lord willing, that's our plan. But God, you may have a different plan. If so, may we receive it with gratitude of what that may be. You, you get it, right? Nothing new. In some ways, obvious. But something we need to hear. So yes, life is unpredictable. But the Lord establishes our steps for his good purposes. Therefore, trust his sovereign care. Trust his sovereign hand. Yes, life is fragile and fleeting, but it is God who numbers our days and has provided for our eternity. Therefore, embrace his free gift of eternal life. And know to live as Christ and to die when that day comes is gain for the believer. Yes, life is purposeful. And God has called you to walk in obedience. So pursue his will. Live to please him in obedience to his word. Be open to the Holy Spirit. Lord, search me and know my heart. See if there be any offensive way in me. Lead me, O Lord, in the way everlasting. May that be our resolve. And so with all of life's uncertainties, changes, all of life's unexpected turns, there is one who is unchanging. There is one who is constant. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. He won't change the rules. What will never change is his unfailing love. What will never change is his faithfulness. What will never change is his grace and mercy. What will never change is the salvation that he freely offers. 
What will never change is for his forgiveness of your sins. What will never change is the fulfillment of his promises. All because Jesus went to that cross and bore our sin upon himself and on the third day rose again from the dead and offers the free gift of eternal life to all who would receive. That's grace. A pastor recently said this little phrase that just captured me. He left heaven when he could have stayed. And he stayed on the cross when he could have left. That's grace, my friend. That's what Jesus Christ did for us. He did it for you. He did it for me. Men, would you come? If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you said, Lord God, I'm a sinner. I can't work my way into heaven no matter how good I am. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me. Thank you that Jesus bore my sin upon himself. Thank you that he rose again from the dead, proving that he was the Son of God. He was the Savior, just as he promised. And Lord, I receive you into my heart. I receive you into my life. I put my trust in you. If you've done that, we invite you to partake. And if you've done it just now, what better thing to do? For the first time in your newfound life in Christ, as Mark read earlier, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. Old things pass away, behold, all things become new. So if you know Jesus Christ, we invite you to partake. Men, would you distribute the bread?
perhaps in the quietness of this moment, you could talk to God personally and ask him by his spirit to reveal an area of your life where you've known you've needed to make changes. You've known the right thing, but you've dragged your feet. You've made excuses. Maybe it's the way you treat a loved one, treat a wife, treat a husband. Maybe it's being involved with an individual that's included sexual immorality. You know it's wrong, but you make excuses. Maybe it's not being grateful. The Spirit of God. If you say to him, search me, O God, and know my heart, if you look into his word, as Hebrews says, it's that which is a piercing sword. It's a light. He will show you. He will impress upon you where you can walk in greater obedience to his spirit and to his will. Jesus Christ on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. Our gracious God, we thank you for Jesus here on a day of a new year. <clears throat> Thankful that on that day, 2,000 years ago, that Jesus stayed on that cross when he could have left. Thank you that he gave up his life voluntarily so that we could have life eternal. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and for taking our sin upon yourself. And now we partake in remembrance of you. Take and eat. Men, please distribute the cup. Come to the altar.
Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ oh, Just before we drink of the cup, just a few verses prior to our text this morning, James writes of how jealous God is for us. Verse 5 of James 4 says, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. You will never love God as much as he loves you. You will never pursue God as much as he has pursued and sought you. You will never desire him as much, he de as, much as he desires you. Just listen to these words by J.I. Packer just before we partake of the cup. Nobody would imagine a jealous God, but we're not making up an idea of God by drawing on our imagination. We're seeking instead to listen to the words of Holy Scripture in which God himself tells us the truth about himself. And there in the Bible, God's public record, we find God speaking repeatedly of his jealousy. God's jealousy is not a compound of frustration, envy, and spite, as human jealousy so often is, but appears instead as a literally praiseworthy zeal to preserve something supremely precious. God's jealousy over his people presupposes his covenant love, and this love is no transitory affection not accidental or aimless, but is the expression of a sovereign purpose. The goal of the covenant love of God is that he should have a people on earth as long as history lasts. And after that, should have all of his faithful ones of every age with him in glory. Covenant love is the heart of God's plan for his world. His jealousy gives meaning for his love and grace. Again, that's why Jesus left heaven when he could have stayed. That's why he stayed on the cross when he could have left. That you and me, chosen before the foundation of the world, might live with him forever. What a glorious salvation. Behold, what manner of love is this that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. In the same way, also, he took the cup 
after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Our gracious God, we thank you again for Jesus. Thank you for the blood that was shed. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. As we hold this emblem, we remember the death of Jesus. And we will do so until Jesus Christ comes again. Always looking back to the cross, always looking ahead to Jesus' return. Thank you for grace. Thank you for the forgiveness that wipes away the guilt of our past sins. Thank you, God, that, that in Jesus Christ, by your Spirit, we begin anew. That though our sins be as scarlet, Lord, you wash them as white as snow. Thank you that Satan, the, our enemy, the enemy of our souls, can no longer crush us because of the guilt of our past. But we point to Jesus and say it is forgiven because Jesus Christ paid it all. So thank you, Jesus, for hanging on that cross and dying. And Jesus would say, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Take and drink. How about if we stand together and sing a hymn in closing? You know, Jesus, when he left the garden that night, sang a hymn with his disciples. I wish we knew what it was. Maybe